If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Audre Lorde once said, I am not free while anyone else is unfree, even if their shackles are different from my own. Thank you so much for being here for the One Voice podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. I'm so excited, Mary. Today, our podcast is, I think, going to be one of the best ever. Just have a really, really dear friend with us, Akia Red. She's a, a mental health advocate. She's an author. She's the founder of Real Girls Fart, which she's going to sh- share a little bit about in a little bit. But today, man, I just want to cover so much ground because Akia is like one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. And she talks a lot about just empowering women, um, empathy, and you know, we need to talk about eliminating racism, systemic racism in our country. And her voice has just grown louder and louder and a voice that we all need to hear. So I'm really excited. Welcome, Akia. Well, thank you, Nicole, for yes. having me. Thank you, Mary. I'm happy to be on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's so funny. Like for literal years and years, I kept hearing about you, Akia, and you know this, we <laughs> talked about this over dinner. Just, I heard so many amazing things about you from all these amazing black men in your life that I knew. I knew your brother. I knew him many years ago. He's a young pastor in our city of Columbus. I met him for coffee quite a few times. I'm talking years ago. We talked about justice. He has a huge heart for justice. And we were just trying to plan how we could work together to engage our city to revival and things like that. And he always used to tell me, you need to meet my sister. You need to meet my sister. You all would really kick it. And he told me, your husband's Michael Red, a former NBA yeah. player at Ohio State standout. So of course I knew who he was. So I still had yeah. met you. And so um it was just so funny like how all these people were saying this, like you need to meet Akia. All these people I would meet just, you know, in our city that knew you. And Mary can testify. I get so closed off sometimes I just never reached out. I and I have to yes. push her and shove her and I'm like, right. good people are out there. Let's go. Come I know. On. It's like my trust issues. But then one day I remember just scrolling through Instagram and I was like, I saw something you had posted. And I was like, damn, that was good. And I went to send you a direct message just to encourage you. And I saw you had messaged me like two years ago and I never opened yeah. it. And that was it. I, it finally led to us meeting. And I was like, oh, I don't know. This woman's a bomb. And now I see why all these dudes around her are so great because you always have to have a strong female <laughs> somewhere in there. So yeah. Akia is so cool just to finally have our, our uh, paths cross. You don't live very far from me. You're doing amazing things just here and all around our country. Your voice is so powerful. But I wanted you just to share a little of your story. I think your story is something that needs to be heard and just, you know, kind of where you came from, what brought you today. Wow. So that's, that's a lot. You've given me a lot to unpack, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try my best to, uh, to do this as efficiently as possible. So Brian, uh, my brother, um, you know, he and I are very similar in the fact that we got our justice gene from my father. Hmm. My father, for many years, was um, a very well-known preacher here in the city of Columbus. And, you know, he was very uh, passionate about Black people. He was very passionate about me and my brothers knowing where we came from, knowing our history, um, and just really outspoken about um, the injustices that, you know, surround us. Um, in this country. So it, for me, I just stand on the side of what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. And I'm like, that's about everything though. And in some cases for me, it hasn't always put me in the best situations because I have a lot of black and white thinking because of my justice orientation. Mm -hmm. And in this particular climate, my justice 
orientation actually works for me. (laughs) It does. It really works for me. And so about four years ago, um, I had a nervous breakdown um, because I was dealing, well, I'll put it like this. I wasn't dealing with a lot of the emotional baggage that I was carrying from uh, my childhood. You know, again, um, all of us go through things in our lives. Um, You know, my dad and I have since reconciled, but back in the day when I was a kid, there were a lot of things that were going on in my home that were vastly different from what I would see in the pulpit. Yeah. And so that was very um, hard on me and it was actually crazy making. Um, And I began to really question my faith. I began to question God. And in the midst of all of that, I started to, you know, just hold stuff inside. And so I have this saying that if you don't deal with life, life deals with you. And I think what happened to me is that over a period of four years, there was just so much stuff from my past. And then even within that four year time period that I had gone through that my body literally just couldn't hold any more space for it. Mm. And so my body began to turn on itself and um, my nervous system was shutting down. I was tremoring. I was panicking. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I lost tons of weight within a two week period. Um, and I went to the doctor and I got the diagnosis of having generalized anxiety disorder um, and depression. Mm-hmm. And it was from that moment that I had to make the decision, um, you know, because I was taught that like, you know, mental illness or depression, anxiety, like that's not mood disorders. That's not really a thing um, because you're a Christian, you can pray it away or in the black community, we are forced, as you can see, with what is going on in our country right now, to put on a brave face and be strong. Oof. So I had the double-edged sword of being a believer, growing up in a pastor's home, having to put on a brave face there, but then also being a black mm-hmm. person, a black woman, having to be that strong black woman that I was being reared to be. So, Plus being in the public eye. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't even put that part in of how I, you know, went and married a famous NBA player um, that that you just forgot about that part. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, yeah, I did. And you know what? And I should I should say that. I mean, that is because that that mimics um, the role of and my husband wasn't just I mean, I don't know disrespect, but he wasn't just sitting on the bench. You know what I mean? He was a franchise player. Absolutely. So I I had to like mimic almost the role of like the first lady of that team. Yeah. So it was a lot. I mean, it was a lot like that, that particular world and season of my life was very much about the external and what I looked like and Mm. less about internally who I was as a person. Mm. And so there was a lot of stuff, all of that combined that really just sent me into this tailspin. And um, when I got my diagnosis, I decided to go to therapy and take medication because I, it was literally this anxiety and depression was crippling me. Yeah. It was crippling my life. Like I was not able to move on to anything else. God, let alone God's purpose for my life. Right. Um, because of, because of all of that. And, you know, so I started um, blogging and I called the blog Real Girls Fart, which you, you touched on. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because I've actually, you know, gotten to the point where now people in particular in this city, but they can actually say it without, you know, a second thought. Um, before, when I first started four years ago, it was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, um, or they would spell out all of the letters, real girls, F-A-R-T. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then explain it. which one. Yeah. What yeah, means yeah, what. Yeah, yeah. So as right. to be like, she didn't really mean it that way. Right. And so, <laughs> but and, yes, and, you did. And I did. And that was, and, and actually every single time someone came at me because of the wording that I choose to use, I mm-hmm. told them that they proved my point. The reason why I called my blog Real Girls Fart was because for so long, 
my story is that I have been a woman of color, a believer um, that has had to put on this face of what society told me was appropriate. Mm. And one day when I realized that that wasn't necessary, I decided to break free of that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to ruffle feathers. I'm going to say things and talk about things that people don't want to talk about because it's my truth. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to mental health, um, that is a very, it's not necessary that it's a taboo topic, but it is something that is really looked at as very ugly. People don't like to talk about that. You know, the mentally ill are shoved to the side, really regardless of what color you are. Mental, the mentally ill just don't really have a voice in this country. Um, and we are, you know, well, not we, but, you know, people who suffer um, with those types of things just, you know, are looked at as, you know, non-trustworthy, violent, you know, just all of the different types of things, um, demonized, if you will. And so I was just like, no, I'm going to be the voice. Again, that justice-driven mentality. I'm going to stand up for them because I know what it's like to go mm -hmm. through this type of thing. Not just on, you know, some every so often occasion. No, I literally know what it's like when nothing in my world is triggering me, mm -hmm. but I cannot get out of bed. I know what that's like mm -hmm. to believe in Jesus and be praying, God help me, and I still can't find the strength to shower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mary yeah. talks a lot about that to me, you know, just, you know, because we're super close and like, I know that she probably feels she can at times talk about the anxiety and like, as for me, someone who doesn't struggle with that and ha doesn't have to face that every day I wake up, it's hard to understand, but yeah. to be able to hear someone say, yeah, like I'm ha having a lot of anxiety today. And I say, what triggered it? I don't know. Well, <laughs> and that can be enough. Yeah. yeah. And I'm standing here with you, you know, and I, and to have that ability to say that, I think for years people felt like they always had to have a reason why they couldn't get out of bed. They had to have a reason why their heart was pounding, why they felt anxious. But now I think people like the two of you are giving a voice to it, that this is just, this is the battle. This is what I'm yeah. facing. And I don't need to give you a reason. Just stay here with me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm not trying to get all super hokey and spiritual, but I, I think that your listeners will be able to go here with me um, mm -hmm. for a second. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that at the time, I really didn't understand why I was being afflicted. Mm. That's how I looked at it. It was like this, like, mm -hmm. affliction, you know? And I didn't understand, like, why all of a sudden this had come over me and why all of a sudden I was feeling this burden and the weight of what the people in this country who have been diagnosed with mental illness or mood disorders have gone through. And so for the last four years, the Lord has really allowed me to bear that burden and feel that weight and leading me now to this particular place where we are in this country to be able to feel the heartbeat of the black and brown people that are suffering. Mm -hmm. And as I told you both earlier, as we were setting up this call, I cannot be a black woman who is advocating for mental health equality and fair treatment of those who are mentally ill and you know, in particular in communities of color, if I don't address the very thing that put us in this position in the first place. There is so much that has been pitted against us from the very beginning that we didn't have a chance. Mm. And so there is a such thing that just like I can say that we as black and brown people carry the burden and the trauma in our bloodline of what happened to our ancestors. It's the same on the other side of people that are white. Mm. They carry that same toxicity from their ancestors. Mm -hmm. So even though it may not be 
you know, you or this white person or that white person. It runs in the bloodline and it is something that we cannot ignore because until we face this stuff and until we allow ourselves to actually, I talk about doing the work of sitting in your uncomfortableness. That is all across the board. It's not just in mental health work, Mm -hmm. but it's in racial equality. It's Mm -hmm. in this systemic oppression that we have faced as a people. Like you have to sit in the uncomfortableness Mm -hmm. and have these really hard conversations and kind of feel the weight of what we have been carrying all of these years. And Akia, you know, you know, I am an ally. I am an anti-racist. I would like to believe I always have been. Um, But now I realize this is a work that doesn't ever stop. Yeah. And, and I'm here for it. And I can't stand to think of my kids living out the same narrative of systemic racism in our country that we have, you know, I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to shut up, but I also want to speak out. And it, it's, yeah. it's a lot of give and take. It's a lot of, um, you know, I think listening to ourselves and, and to me, it kind of comes down to the stuff you have talked about a lot, even before this historical moment of, of self-care and, yeah. Mary and I have been doing a series on self-care for survivors through just the whole mm-hmm. pandemic. And you have said a lot in your talks and your writings about just self-care and, you know, that's a given, but what comes after that? And you, you talk about showing up for yourselves. And mm-hmm. I know you talk a lot about secure your oxygen mask first before helping others. Yeah. And I, I can even see how your words about that all related to mental health crosses over into this new era and where your voice is just going to be so loud. It already is of just speaking into the racism and the inequality, but like we do, you have to take care of yourself. You have to educate yourself first, right? Before you can begin to have a voice in this. Um, Because when you have a voice before taking care of yourself (laughs) and to know what the hell you're going to say, you yeah. could come off real wrong. In many ways. And, and I've never actually thought about self-care in this way mm-hmm. um, before as I'm getting ready to state it to you and Mary. But in many ways, now I'm looking at, you know, self-care as kind of tuning into yourself mm-hmm. and really honoring in truth what it is you really are about and who you want to be and how you want to show up in the world. Taking that time to actually discover that within yourself and whatever it is, no matter how, no matter how ugly it may be. Cause I will tell you guys that in the midst of all of this stuff that has gone on, I have had the conversation with myself about biases that may be present inside of me towards my own people. And that is some deep work. Yeah. And it is hard to admit the fact that the systemic oppression has been so engrafted into this society of or this America that we live in that it is even infiltrated into the hearts and minds of black people against their own people. Yeah. And so I had to examine myself and say, when I drive down the street and I see a black man that looks kind of suspicious, maybe in my mind, what makes him look suspicious? Is it the fact that he's black or is it the fact that he actually looks like like because how does looking suspicious and up to no good look right we we got to figure that out first so mm-hmm. I was like doing some work in my mind like how, how does looking suspicious even look like mm-hmm. how do you figure that out I mean because mm-hmm. that's how like these police right now are getting into trouble so as a black woman you know I'm kind of going back and forth you know the last several days in my mind about this and I you know I was happy to say that for me Whenever I have locked my doors because somebody is, you know, on the side of the road, it has been the case whether you are black, 
white, Asian, Hispanic, because me, it was never about the color. I think for me, it was more so about it being a male. Yeah. And me feeling unsafe as a woman. But I only point that out to say, because as I pointed out in one of my posts yesterday on Facebook, that it is true that there are a lot of white people that will lock their doors when they see a black man or a brown man walking. But they won't do that if they see a white man or an Asian man. Mm. Because they are perceived as less of a threat. But see, before I could even say that, I had to examine myself and my own practices. And I'm Black. And so for me, I just, you know, my biggest thing to white people is that they have to look within themselves. They have to, before they start going out, trying to be an ally, trying to, you know, post and protest and all all of that is appreciated. Mm -hmm. So you have to look within yourself and look at your everyday practices. I think it's also good just to hear it's appreciated because, you know, I'll be honest, I want to, I want so badly to nail this conversation with you, Akia. I want to say everything perfectly. I don't want to mess it up, you know, and I think for a long time, you know, I was like many white people who, you know, now afraid of saying something that might unknowingly be offensive to people of color, you know, and I love everything about black culture, right? I can go all in with my black friends, right? But I've had a lot of learning to do and I always will. You know, I've had to fail to learn. I had to be humble to hear where I have failed. The things I've said that have failed, that have fallen wrong and get back up and try again. So I think it's good to know, um, you know, that the white voice does matter. And sometimes we have to try and fail, but to not try is worse, you know? Right. And it, and it does. It, it, it matters. It matters so much because you are the people that have the power. Right. You know? So that's why it matters because right. they expect us to go protest out in the streets. Of course. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. in history, every picture in history you do see white people marching with black people but it's more black people that Mm. is what we historically have always done we have always held the burden of fixing the racial problems in this country that we did not cause Uh and Uh so i i say i do appreciate the allies i do appreciate you know white people speaking up But I will say two things on that. First and foremost, I think to your point about not wanting to say the wrong thing, this is is what I think is so so necessary for white people to know. We do not, we're not intimidated by the questions, right? We welcome the questions because that means that you're empathetic and you want to know. So before you just go and you say something, ask someone, if I say this, like, is this, is this inappropriate? And how is that looked at? Ask the question. The problem that we have is that there are not enough white people asking questions. They are, they are assuming that they already know the answer. Yeah. Right. We don't need any more white saviors. We're not in charge of this thing. Right. Right. We can speak up. We can use Google. Google's great. (laughs) Well, that, I mean, exactly. And I know we all get Amazon packages. I know we all do. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, there's a ton of, there's a ton of books on Amazon. There are a lot of people that are speaking on these issues that have already spoken on these issues. And it has to go beyond somebody that's lying dead in the street. Mm -hmm. We have to have these conversations when there isn't a George Floyd. These conversations have to continue to happen. See, Black people have these conversations when there's nobody, because this is what we go through. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, so I'll, I'll say that. And then I feel like 
Yeah, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> no. because, well, We're going to go there. No, but I think our... I forgot, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, just knowing our audience, you know, on this podcast, there's so many survivors of abuse, you know, looking to find their voice. They know what it's like to not have a voice, no matter what color skin they have. The voice is the thing. The voice is the first step to healing, you know, finding it, even you know, finding your anger and understanding that being angry doesn't mean you're being hateful. It means you love yourself. You value yourself enough to, you know, get angry at your own mistreatment. So abuse survivors know what that means. And for me, that helps me to be able to empathize with the black community. And as I learn the systemic racism and what y'all are up against and what my white privilege has given me for no other reason than I'm white. Like that stuff makes me mad. And so that is not hateful. That's me saying that's wrong. That's injustice. And I think that's what a lot of white people need right now is to find that anger in the same way I needed to be angry at what happened to me as an abuse survivor, as a victim, being victimized by men in my life who preyed upon me, right? I had to get angry because for years I thought it was my fault. I somehow asked for it. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, all of these things, it was about me, but no, 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 like it wasn't. And I had to put the anger where it belonged in the same way. I feel like that has helped me to put myself in the shoes of someone with different color skin than me, you know, that I, I would be angry too. Like I didn't ask for this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And to be able to, um, that's why I think survivors of abuse, we have this thing in us that can help us empathize better. And if you're a white survivor, I say tap into that, you know, learn, allow yourself to be mad and allow yourself to begin to have a voice on this thing. We need that voice, right. To see change. Mm. I agree. I totally agree with that. I think anybody who's experienced any type of suffering, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, has an ability to, you know, to, to, to empathize. I mean, but this is, this is the thing I want to, I want to give you guys this, and this is going to be very, very um, gruesome in a way, but I want you to picture this because you are a survivor, right? So you Mm -hmm. understand, and the people who listen to you in this podcast that they are survivors, imagine us as a black person. So me, I am every single time a white person that doesn't want to do the work on their own to educate Mm -hmm. themselves, Mm -hmm. ask me to help them help me move through the trauma. I feel like, and this is going to be graphic, but I need us to all go here for a second. I feel like it's, I'm hanging from a tree with a noose around my neck. You're standing on the ground, looking up at me, asking me how to get me down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's very sobering. But to all the people who are survivors of abuse, sexual or otherwise, this is the same thing. Nobody would ever ask you to help your victimizer to help you work through the trauma. Like Mm -hmm. that's just, it's, I mean, Mm -hmm. it just does not make any sense. That's why what we're doing today with blackout Tuesday Mm -hmm. is so important because we're like, listen, this is not, you know, we're not going to educate right now. Like we need to allow this day for you to educate yourselves on what is happening. Right. And I'll say this, you know, I was looking at some videos uh, or not videos, but um, some pictures in 1921. You guys are familiar, right? It's just marked the anniversary two days ago, 99 year anniversary of um, Black Wall Street. 1921, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma was burned to the ground by Mm. white people it was the richest area 
in Oklahoma, but because the white people felt that the black people of that time were having too much power because of the money that they had, they went and they burned Black Wall Street to the ground. And all of this damage around the country that we see cannot even compare to the destruction that you see was done in 1921. And that's almost 100 years ago. And we're still having the same fight. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got here because of 400 years of oppression. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like nothing has changed. No, it's that's that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. And you know, this has all been really, really hard for me because I'm not well on purpose I'm not a political person and I don't like to preach politics because in my mind I'm a Christian mm-hmm. I believe that Christians are to be nonpartisan, mm-hmm. um, and we are to vote for <laughs> the best of the worst <laughs> <laughs> yeah about that <laughs> the best of the worst And Mm so I never, you know, have voted based on party. I was not raised that way. I was, I was taught exactly what I'm telling you. That's what I was taught. And I'm a Christian first before anything else. I'm a believer in Jesus first before anything else. I'm a daughter of God. And I, you know, I look at all of this and I see the very blatant messages that are being sent out from the top. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if, and if you've seen any of the pictures of the White House go black, and that yeah. only happens when a president dies. And so the way that black America heard that was, I don't see you. I don't hear you. Mm. In fact, I'm going to go black. Like you're dead to me. Like you're dead to me. Oof. So in many cases, you know, like this is uh, a lot of times, you know, people focus on what is said. And I agree that President Trump should just put himself on mute or talk in front of a teleprompter if he can't figure out what to say. Right. But I, at this point, believe that he is completely incapable of even understanding this because his roots in white supremacy go very, very deep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but the unspoken, the unspoken is what Black America is referring to. Mm -hmm. It's the turning the lights out and going and hiding in the bunker. It's Mm -hmm. coming in when you do have a chance to speak saying, I am your president of law and order. You've got to dominate. Mm -hmm. You know, all of the things that he, all of the insinuations and comments that he has made have pointed to the civil rights movement. Absolutely. He's quoting it. Yes. And like, he's calling for a civil war. Mm -hmm. And it is so scary. And, Mm. you know, one of the messages that, that, that I have been sending to a lot of, you know, my white friends and just, you know, white people that have been, you know, following um, my platform on Instagram is, it's not always in what you say, it's in what you haven't been saying. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, right. you want to go and stand out in the sun and protest. That's cool. And we appreciate it. Or you want to post on Blackout Tuesday. That's cool. But what happens when you go to Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner with your grandpa, your grandma, your aunts, your uncles that are like from the boomer generation and, and, and older and or even in the millennials you know or the generation x that kind of caught on from the boomers you know what if like you're sitting at that table and there's some stuff that gets said and you know deep down inside that it's wrong and it's racist as hell and you don't speak up Absolutely. that is the silence that is betrayal it is it sure is so we want to focus on so much of like let's speak up let's speak up okay well, I need you to use that same energy, white people, to speak up when you are at your Thanksgiving dinner table or at your water cooler at work. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go up to a black person 
and they have ethnic hair and you ask them can i touch your hair oh <laughs> like it's little stuff like that that people don't even realize that it's just so it's it, it it just it's baffling yeah. like you know this kind of stuff this is not new yeah <laughs> black people aren't here to entertain us say that again nicole say <laughs> that again because that can go down a whole nother rabbit hole uh, and no, i'm happy man. to go down that rabbit hole with you we got all that day. would be a whole nother hour of a show <laughs> <laughs> you would have to break it up into like two parts and that would be okay your voice is so important to all of us right now kia like don't hold back but i totally i see i hear you i get it i mean i come from a conservative white family from the farm fields and it is thanksgivings are difficult and if we don't say stuff when the little things are said this shit will never stop there will yes. never be change. And, you know, I think it's so important that we do say it, see something, say something, you know, diversify our experiences, who we're reading, who we're listening to, be willing to change how we're holding space, how we're showing up. You know, if we were here for the women's march and aligned Man. with that, we should be right here with the Black Lives Matter protests too. You know, and if you're not, we've got to be asking some questions like, why? <laughs> like, what is the difference, right? And I'm um, sure it, all these people are sitting at home loving being entertained by black people all the time, right? All the time. Yeah. I, well, I'm married to an athlete. Exactly. Yes. So don't even, so don't even get me started on that. Like, <laughs> I have, I mean, while I don't, you know, this is my thing, like, while I don't mind you know, my son, you know, following in his father's footsteps and, and, and playing basketball, especially if he loves it and that's what he's good at. And, you know, he wants to do that. That's fine. I, my advice to him and any young person that is pursuing a professional athletic career that is a person of color, get in, get your money and get out. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I know firsthand that they don't care. And I'm going to say something, and it may be so controversial, and I hope y'all don't edit this out. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it is run, nigga run, jump, nigga jump, entertain us. Mm. Shut your mouth. Don't kneel. That's un-American. Mm. How dare you? Like, that is the reality of what we are faced with in this country, even our athletes and our entertainers. And I am so... Sorry, not sorry. If I use the N word and that is offensive, but you know what? That is what it is. That is what it is. Like, and, and we have, and I've said this on so many of my videos this week, people that are black, brown, that have money, that have the celebrity, that have the fame, we are considered the acceptable Negroes. That is until we start speaking the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and start standing for justice and then it becomes pun intended by the word justice but it, then it becomes it's just us meaning it's just us speaking up mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. it's not any of the people that have invited us to their charities to be their black token faces i know that's the truth and you know another one of my dear friends is also a basketball wife and mm -hmm. you know she's talked to me quite a bit about you know, that hashtag more than an athlete. And, yeah. you know, just the stories of even them, you know, getting pulled over mm -hmm. by the police. And then once they realize who he is, the whole thing changes. Man. Or, yeah. Or once yeah. they realize that the wife is white, <laughs> the whole thing changes. Ooh. I mean, it is, it is, a, it is real. It is uh, real. Yeah. It is. And if, if they had gotten pulled over and he wasn't who he is and didn't have the name he had, it would have been a whole different story, you know, and her worrying for her brown babies. It, people don't get it. And that's what grieves me is, yeah. you know, I've been listening and aching over black stories nearly my, all my life, you know, hearing yeah. stories of black survivors. 
And I humbly accept that I will never, ever, ever know what it is like to actually face what a person of color faces every day. Yeah. And why can't all of us think about that? The fears, right? And what white privilege has protected us from. If we can tap into those kinds of feelings and those experiences, I think it can change things. But if we're only comparing ourselves to the celebrities, (laughs) it's like, Mm -hmm. that's not too much different. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very, very true. I've been stopped and I get, you know, a lot of questions Mm. and I, it's a long process, you know, it's a really long process. And I'm aware that my white sisters and brothers don't have that long of a process. So Mm -hmm. then what happens is, is I pull my license and registration out. And they see the last name because, you know, Michael can get off with just his face and his very recognizable face, especially in this city. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know how Ohio loves their Buckeyes. No, oh, absolutely. So he can, you know, get away with that, with his face. Me, I have to pull out my, my license and, oh, hmm. are you related to the Michael Red? Hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'm his wife. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, just one second. We'll be right back. Probably a few minutes later, they bring my stuff back. They want to verify my identity, probably make sure that I am his wife. And that's Mm. not just, you know, something that I'm telling them. Not a black woman lying. Right. Exactly. You know, we, you know, we never know. Yeah. So I, you know, I get let go. Oh, today is your lucky day. I'm going to let you go with a warning today. Yeah, that's happened to me. So. I think a lot of white folks don't think it's real until yeah, you start hearing the stories. And it, I don't think I have a, a black or brown friend that has not had a story like that, honestly, where, yeah. you know, it's just so different from what we go through as white folk. So, but you don't know that until you come side to side. And you hear and you listen and you shut up, you know, and you try to understand. Then, only then, can we advocate for what's right because then we know what's wrong. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. I and think that's, we, we need to develop an empathy, right? Yes. That's, I think, a lot of where, at least for me, a lot of where my desire to advocate comes from because I've, I have more of an understanding where I can now empathize, where I can be angry at what's wrong and then be able to, you know, have a voice otherwise. And, you know, Ikea and your IGTV, you did was spot on on this. You know, if you're not empathetic, if you're not compassionate, shut up. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. so good. It perfectly described what is wrong with judging how other people are, are grieving through this, who, you know, it just helps to understand better. In fact, I would love for you to unpack some of that. In all honesty, you know, I, um, I was compelled to say that because I was very, um, very upset about all of these posts about the focus being on the violence, the focus being on the broken windows, the focus being on the looting. I mean, I don't condone that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think any of us do. Mm -hmm. Um, The majority of the black people that are protesting don't condone that stuff. Right. But it's like, first of all, let's be really clear before I unpack that video. There are a lot of white supremacy groups that are planting themselves and trying to blame that kind of destruction on black people. Mm -hmm. So let's be clear about that. I'm so glad that's starting to come out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there are bricks, okay, that are being planted in these areas to invoke or incite violence. Listen. I this is a this is a, a known fact. There are 40 million people in this country right now that are unemployed and 80% of them are black and brown people. We ain't got the money to be buying bricks to throw. (sighs) So, I mean, use your brains, people. 
We yeah. don't have the money to buy bricks, nor would we want to even go through the questioning to go to the store to buy bricks. Well, I've seen pictures being leaked even just this morning of, you know, dump trucks full of yeah. loads and, and, and white people just delivering them in the middle of a street near no construction. Yes. yes. Yeah. So yes. no, I'm glad that stuff's getting leaked. Yes. It's, it is. It's a mess. It is a mess. And, you know, so for me, you know, I, so that's the fact of the matter on that. But at that particular moment, you know, I was, I was upset because you guys, not you guys, but I'm saying, you know, I'm saying this to these people on Facebook. I'm like, you guys are sitting here and you are condemning all of this. And while I don't agree with the methods by which some of these individuals are going about it, if in fact they truly are the ones doing it, mm-hmm. yes, it needs to stop. But 400 years of slavery and oppression, okay, we were considered property mm-hmm. and you destroyed lynched, burned us, and we were considered your property. Now you want to talk about the vandalism of your glass windows that can be replaced? Like, which is it? All I'm saying is, is that it just points to, again, the glaring hypocrisy that has infiltrated this nation that we call America. Which is it? Are we concerned about property or no? Where's the priority here? Where's the priority here? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just like, I don't know. I, I've always just really had this uncanny ability to really be able to unpack some stuff that a lot of people don't want to unpack, unpack and really just say it. Like I just say it in a way that, you know, I feel, I feel it, but in love too. Like, I want people to use their brains. I want people to be able to critically think about these things and stop being fed what to think. So I don't know, you know, I mean, that's kind of, you know, where I stood, you know, with that is, you know, stop talking. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. (laughs) You know, it's a, it's a real basic, simple principle that we've learned since kindergarten, maybe even preschool. You know, if you cannot, as a white person, empathize, you just need to be quiet. Until you've lived it, you need to be quiet. Until you've taken time to walk in another man's moccasins, be quiet. Mm -hmm. Let the people of color talk to the people of color about whatever negativity that they're doing in their communities. That's right. Either you sit on silent and be mute because you don't have nothing to say, Mm -hmm. or you use your voice as an ally and as somebody who's empathetic. That's it. It's real simple. Well, because when our white feelings are prioritized over black lives, yeah, I mean that probably is the definition of white supremacy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my feelings. Yeah, my feelings about this is more important than the lives of your people. Mm. Yeah, we got a real yeah. problem. So if you check yourself and you realize that. You might want to stop talking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I just want to say one more thing on that. You know, please don't say I'm not a racist. Okay. Because Mm -hmm. there are the instances that or the instance that happened in Central Park. Yeah. Okay. With white liberal females supporting Hillary Clinton, dog loving. I'm not a racist. But you know enough to be able to use that white privilege to threaten a black man's life. Yeah, you you said you posted something on your Instagram the other day. The new racism is to deny that racism exists. Yeah. 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 Saying yeah, I don't see we color. don't see yeah, I don't see color. Yeah. And that is so good. That is so basic to be able to say, no, I see, I see your color. I celebrate your mm-hmm. color. And you know, I admit that my life and the struggles and the fears that I have will never be the same as yours. To me, yeah. that is the basic foundation. That when we can say those words and mean them, that's how we can 
begin to repent and begin to repair what has been done for centuries, right? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty simple. You know, like it's, Mm it's, it's, it's all, it's all encompassing, simple and complicated at the same time. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like right now as a nation, as a people, all of us collectively are living in the best and worst of times, right? Because in all of this destruction and in all of this chaos, there is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's the message of hope that I can bring you know, while not ignoring what's going on, I'm very woke and I understand what's going on and I'm addressing all of that, but I'm also offering a message of inspiration and hope that with Mm -hmm. every situation of chaos and destruction, there's an opportunity. And we have the decision of whether or not we are going to rise to the occasion and meet that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you feel hopeful? I do. Um, I do. Because if I didn't, um, I could just ask the Lord to take me now. Yeah. Yeah. You understand? I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken, but I'm not old. So <laughs> like I have Lord willing a lot more time left on this earth. Mm-hmm. So I can't spend the next 40, 50 years not being hopeful. Yeah. yeah. I do believe that this new generation, Generation um, Z and Generation Alpha, um, I do believe that they are the generations that are going to bring change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do believe that they have just the right amount of justice-driven fire and intolerance mm-hmm. for foolishness True. to get it done. And I believe that we'll be able to live to see it. We may be old and gray, <laughs> but we will be able to live to see it. And I think that if we, as older millennials and Gen X, can undergird them, get behind them, and push them to get into places of power where they can actually be the change from the inside, Because protests are nice, but in order for there to be real change, we have to be able to strategize to get these young people to go to college, to educate themselves, to become doctors and lawyers and, you know, the surgeon generals of the world, to be able to change healthcare, law enforcement, Mm -hmm. to be congressmen and women, presidents. We have to put them in position and undergird them, not only with our prayer, but with our love and our support and our wisdom. And to just encourage them to be the change and to infiltrate the system. Mm -hmm. Won't he do it? (laughs) So, you know, that is why I'm hopeful. That is why I'm hopeful. Everybody that's listening to this podcast, if you have children that are considered Gen Zs and Alphas, which are the very, very young ones, some of them haven't even been born yet, carry that into your mind when you are raising your children. Right. So that they can infiltrate the system and cause change to happen from the inside out. Kia Nicole and I were just having a text conversation the other night and just, and again, we, we can't speak from your experience, but just the heaviness and the weight uh, with that empathy and the compassion of just broken hearts for um, what black people are going through right now. And it's unacceptable and it's not okay. And, and she even said, you know, as we look at our own kids and wanting to apologize to them for bringing them into a world that's so sad and so broken and so nasty and ugly and hateful. And I have to keep going back to a reminder as I look at God and knowing that, you know, we're here right now for a reason. And also our kids, these warriors are living in the times that they're living in now for a specific reason. And it's not by accident. And as we empower them and pray over them and support them, you know, like you said, we, we have to keep our hope in that or we're going to lose our minds. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So, you know, I, you know, I want to thank you both from the bottom of my heart for um, being allies and being sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, because above and beyond anything else, that's first and foremost. We are related because of our relationship and connection to Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And the real church, the true ecclesia, has to see it that way. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity um, to speak my truth in love, of course, and providing me, you know, a platform to, you know, amplify um, the message, you know, of, of truth and of love and of justice and of hope, you know, to the future generations. So thank you guys both. Thank you, Akia. Like I said before we started recording, you know, I just I just truly believe that God has given you this platform and just been tilling the soil in your life and in your heart. Um, I know we personally have had a lot of conversations about faith and deconstructing of faith and reconstructing and you know, I know it can feel like a lot and I know, you know, we've gone into some really deep places and conversations and I know your faith in Jesus has been really key to your journey. And, um, but also I just think, you know, for such a time as this, Akia Red, like you, your voice, your journey, everything matters. And like, yes, you are up against a lot. You have gone through a lot in your life. Um, but you, you are so needed, Akia. And I'm just so grateful Thank to call you. you my friend. I am watching everything you're doing, the words that are coming out of your mouth. Every single thing holds weight. And we are learning from you. And so I just plead that you don't give up. You rest <laughs> when you need to rest. Yes. Thank you. I pray the nap ministry you. over your life. Uh. <laughs> I can I can use it right now. Jesus. Yes. I well, you poured it that. out. You poured it out today. So give yourself that Aww. space. Um, yeah. But just know, you know, that though we don't understand, nor should anybody understand, like, we're committed. We stand with you in solidarity. We love you. And um, I'm glad to hear you have hope. That gives me hope because I know <laughs> with leaders like you, um, change can happen. The first steps of healing can come hopefully in our lifetime and I'm here to see it. So can you please share, we didn't even unpack your book. Your book is called Be Free, Be You. Uh, You know what? At the end of the day, Mary and Nicole, it's like, you know what? Google it guys. You know, like it's, it's, it's like, you know, I, I, I am, I am not gonna live beneath what I am teaching right now and what I am teaching and, and imploring influencers such as myself to do is to put their own agendas aside. Mm. So, you know, like this, what is happening right now in our nation is much more important than buying a book. Would I love you to buy my book? Absolutely. Go for it. If that's what you want to do, be free, be you. It came out last June. Um, it talks about my story. It mm-hmm. won an award. Hey. Hey. <laughs> mm-hmm. Loving it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it can't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody liked it. And I mean, I didn't buy and pay for the award, guys. So, <laughs> um, you know, so, it, it, you know, it's a, it is a, it is a memoir, a self-help memoir. Um, so I kind of just created my own genre there, um, but which is what I do, right? I just kind of like create my own thing. And then you, just are, you are a trail blazer <laughs> if I ever knew one. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, but yeah, it's fine. If you want to buy the book, be free, be you. Um, uh, Instagram yes. at Akia Red. Um, Right now, my website is under construction, um, but you can find me at realgirlsfart.com, which will soon be called akiared.com. Also on Facebook as Red and Real Girls Fart. So you can like and follow both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm here for it, man. I'm going to constantly and continuously be um, undergirding this generation and just sending out videos and messages and mm-hmm just doing what I do and fighting the good fight. And those who listen, you know, so many of us as survivors and those who care about survivors, you know, 
this is a hard time. We're, we're survivors of abuse or all kinds of trauma who are also struggling with mental health during a pandemic and a historical revolution. We need people like Akira Red in our lives to be able to continue to give us what we need to get through. And we also need to support people like Akia Red. So please do go buy Akia's book, follow her, um, do all the things and, and keep yourself sane. So thank you again, Akia. We love you. you. Go get a nap. (laughs) Love you guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review. If you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.